0: Father, here we are in your place of worship, gathered as your people. Father, we want to hear you speak. We want to hear what you have to say to us through your word this morning. And again, Father, we ask you to remove anything that would hinder us from hearing that, whether it's fear or anxiety, pain. Father, we pray that you would ease those things so that we could clearly hear what you have to say. We pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So it was a normal day. Nothing exciting was happening. A couple a couple men woke up early in the morning to go out and do some training exercises. It was like four in the morning. They had to get up. They were kind of groggy, and they wandered out to do their training exercises. And nothing really happened for three hours. About seven o'clock, they were done with the training exercises, going to walk back, probably go to bed. Um, and right as they were about to leave, something popped up on the screen. They had never seen it before. They had no idea what it was. It looked like a group of planes coming. They argued with one another. What should we do? Should we tell somebody we don't want to tell our supervisor and then have it be nothing and then look like like we're stupid? But they eventually said they are going to talk to some of the higher-ups, let them know what they saw, and the higher-ups said, don't worry about it, it's nothing. They went back, went to bed, and an hour later, Japanese planes started dropping through the clouds dropping torpedoes on an unsuspecting naval base in Pearl Harbor. And for two hours, wave after wave of planes dropped torpedoes on ships and planes. Nineteen ships were destroyed and 2,400 Americans were dead or wounded from this attack. And I was reading about it this week and I came across this article um, on smithsonian.com, the The article will be tagged in my sermon online. But it said this it said, most devastating, Americans simply underestimated the Japanese. Their success at Pearl Harbor was due partly to astounding good luck, but also to American complacency anchored in two assumptions. First, that our Asian adversary lacked the military deftness and technological proficiency to pull off an attack so daring and so complicated. And secondly, they assumed that Japan knew and accepted that it would be futile to make war on a nation as powerful as the United States. So they were ignorant of the attack. Pride kind of got in the way. They thought this is never going to happen. No way, no how. They were unprepared for it. And that's why it was so devastating of an attack. And as we come to the end of Ephesians, that's what Paul's talking to us about as well. He wants us to be prepared for an attack against in the middle of a battle that we're facing. We're all in the midst of a battle. And he doesn't want us to be ignorant of it. He doesn't want our pride to keep us from preparing for it. If we try to ignore the battle, stay out of the battle, the the results will be similar to what happened on Pearl Harbor. It will be pretty devastating to us. So let's let's look at what Paul has to say at the end of Ephesians. It says, Finally, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Amen. So whether you like it or not, if you are a Christian, you are in the midst of a war, in the midst of a battle. There's no staying out of the fight. As much as you maybe want to, you cannot stay out of it. Paul says our struggle, and this is talking to Christians, the Christian struggle is one that's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly realms, and that is a reality for all believers, and and I put it that bluntly because I just think it's important for us to know that this is the reality. I've 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 walked with many Christians over the years who um, some who are pretty new in their faith, and I've walked with a lot of teenagers in particular, and they they come to faith and they think, wow, I'm a Christian now. It's going to be all sunshine and roses. It's going to be like frolicking through green grass in a meadow. It's going to be great. And then all of a sudden they come under attack and things don't go the way they think they should. And it gets hard. And then they start to think, well, maybe I'm not a Christian because this shouldn't happen to Christians. They, they start to doubt whether they actually have faith. And then they just say, well, I've got to try harder. I've got to do better. And that will make all of this work. And then they begin to get exhausted. Exhausted. And they start to actually lose the battle because they never thought that they actually had to fight and they had no idea how they had to fight. So be aware that this is normal. It's actually expected of every Christian that we are in the midst of this battle. And you'll be fighting it until the day you die. You don't get to retire from it at 65 or 70. It's, it will go until until you die. And... I know every time I talk about this, I usually get a few looks and somebody comes up to me and says, you know, Jason, that really doesn't sound very appealing. <laughs> I, I really don't like the idea of being in a battle my whole life. And there's a number of ways you can answer that. but The blunt way is it, it doesn't really matter if you like it or not. It's the truth that you are in the midst of it. And to not fight the battle is to lose it and to end up as a prisoner of war with Satan as your master. And that doesn't sound very appealing either. But to fight it in the strength of the Lord means life and peace with Christ. Which is much more appealing. So Paul, Paul tells the Ephesians, and he's telling us this morning, he says, be strong in the Lord and in, the, in His mighty power. Be strong in the midst of this battle. But he doesn't say just... You've got enough strength in yourself to do it. He actually says, "Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in His mighty power," because the reality is, you are not strong enough to fight this battle, Um, no matter what the world tells you. You know, you can you can go out into the world. You can hear there's kind of this idea, this mantra: like if you just tell yourself enough times and just really believe in yourself enough you'll be strong enough just you wake up every morning and you say I'm strong I'm strong I'm strong and you go to bed at night and you say I'm strong I'm strong and if you just believe in yourself enough you will be strong enough to do all of this and it's not true we're all going to find ourselves in a situation where we know we are not strong enough to do it we're helpless and even I encourage you and as you're, as you're going through this week, turn on the Christian radio station and notice that this is creeping into the church too. That you'll hear a lot of Christian songs say, you're strong enough, you've got this. They, they leave out like you're not strong in Christ or just you've got it. You're strong enough to get through this. You can do this. And they kind of just try to rah rah shishkum you through the trouble. And the reality is, Scripture never says we're strong enough. It says be strong in the Lord. Be strong in His mighty power. I came across um, this a guy named Charles Hodge who um, has written a commentary on this book that I've been going through. He has some pretty strong words for someone who thinks they can fight this on their own strength. He says, Whoever rushes into this conflict without thinking of Christ, without putting his trust in Christ, and without continually looking to Christ for strength, and regarding himself as a member of this body, deriving all life and vigor from him, is demented. <laughs> I thought, oof, that's pretty hard words. But, but it's, it's true. He said, you're going up against the spiritual forces of evil and you think that you're strong enough in and of yourself to do this. He says, you're not. You're crazy. You need to rely on the Lord's strength. You're not. You're not strong enough. And yet the question comes up, okay, that's a good principle, but how do, I, how do I live that then? How do I live my life in the strength that the Lord supplies and not relying on myself? And Paul says, put on the full armor of God. That's how you do that. If you're going to live life, and if you're going to stand firm, if you're going to be strong in the power that the Lord supplies, you put on the full armor armor of God. And as we go through this, I'll explain it a little bit at the end, but but look at how each piece of armor actually forces us (coughs) to not rely on our own strength, but to rely on God's strength. Just the fact that God's the one that gives us the armor shows us that we're not doing this in our strength, but only in His strength. forces us to look outside of ourselves and look to Him. So what I want to do is I just want to go through each piece real quickly, um, I'm going to fly through them, really, um, and hopefully it will generate conversation for you to think about later in the week. But we're going to fly through them, point it out, and then show kind of how it, how it helps push back against Satan and his scheming. And then uh, we'll talk at the end about how these force us to look outside of ourself for strength. So the belt of truth makes sense because Jesus says about Satan, He says the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He's a liar and he's the father of lies. The the very character of Satan is a liar, is falsehood. Everything you know, out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie because his heart is corrupt. As he attacks us, he attacks us with lies, falsehoods. Paul says, if you're going to withstand that, you need to hold on to the truth. Now, part of that means speaking the truth. But more importantly, he's saying, hold on to the truth that God has revealed to us in Scripture about who we are and about the world. Hold on to that as you withstand the devil's attacks. It says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, it makes sense because it says this about Satan. Satan. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Again, Satan's been a liar from the beginning, and he's been sinning from the beginning. And the opposite of righteousness is just sin. So Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness as you withstand the attacks of the devil, the one who has been a sinner from the beginning, the one who tempts us repeatedly to fall into sin and away from righteousness. Now, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, on one hand, does mean living a righteous life in the strength of the Lord. You know, if, if you, you kind of get swept one way or another, if you start falling into sin, it's easier to fall into sin, to fall into sin, to fall into sin. If you start living in the power of the Lord and living righteously, you, you keep doing that way and it's harder to fall into sin. But I think more importantly... Putting on the breastplate of righteousness is putting on Christ's righteousness for you. Christ lived a perfect and righteous life and he has credited that to your account. Whether you, he's, he's given that to you and as Satan attacks and says, you're just no good. You can say, but I've got Christ's righteousness. What do you have? I've got nothing. The shoes of the gospel of peace. So he's he's equipped us with the gospel. That's part part of this. And again, I say it makes sense. In Revelation, it talks about Satan. It says, The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. The accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Satan's an accuser. That's actually what his name means is the accuser. He, he tempts us to sin and then says, what kind of a Christian sins? What kind of a Christian does that he, he gets you to fall into sin and you, you, you willfully choose to sin it 's not you can 't blame it all on him, but, but he tempts you, you fall into sin, and then he says, "Why would God love someone like that christians don 't do look you 're such a terrible Christian. you fell, you sinned, you messed up, and he starts accusing you kind of bringing this separation between you and God, and yet the gospel and Paul points out here it 's a gospel of peace, so that so you 've been Reconciled from God. There's no separation now between you and God. He's, he's forgiven you. So Satan's trying to bring that separation in there. And Paul says, no, preach the gospel to yourself. Christ has redeemed you. He's adopted you into his family. You're now a child of the Father. There's no separation between you. He can accuse, but it says, there's no condemnation over you for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as we preach the gospel to other people, and they hear the good news, and they turn to Christ in faith, again, you're pushing back against Satan's kingdom. It's called to put on the helmet of salvation. Again, because it says about Satan, even just in this book, it says, for you, you were dead in your trespasses or transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. It says, before you were in Christ, you were following Satan, and you were dead. I mean, that's just everything that Satan does leads towards sin and death and destruction. And so, he says, to push back against that, put on the helmet of salvation. Turn to Christ in faith and, and be saved and then hold tightly to that as Satan will come at you and try to convince you that you're unsavable, that you're not good enough, that why would Christ ever save you? Why would he why would he want you? Paul says as you combat that, it says hold tight to the salvation that Christ has given. You. He will never let go of you. He's got you. We're told to take up the shield of faith. I think these last two, the shield of faith and the Word of God, really undergird every single piece of armor in this. Without faith, we have nothing. Without faith, we have no salvation. Without faith, we do not have the Gospel. Without faith, we do not have Christ's righteousness. Without faith, we do not know truth. All of these flow from... Faith, it's this huge shield we put up in front of us that strengthens all the rest of our armor as Satan attacks. And Then we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have the sword, which is God's Word. I, I didn't have a Bible up here, but I wanted to hold the Bible. <laughs> we have that. And Calvin actually says that faith and the Word of God are, are one thing. Yet Paul talks about them separately, but they work tightly together. He says, faith and the Word of God are one. Yet Paul assigns to them two distinct offices. I call them one because the Word is the object of faith and cannot be applied to our use but by faith. As faith, again, is nothing and can do nothing without the Word. You can't just have faith in just a vague understanding of whatever, faith. We, we come to faith by reading the Word of God. And as we read the Word of God and we believe what it says and we put our faith in the God who inspired it, we have this sword to fight against Satan. It's important to know that this is really the only weapon that we're given. And all of this. We, can, we have a helmet and a breastplate and shoes and a shield. We have all of these things to withstand the attacks. But God has also given us a weapon. Something that we can fight back. We don't, we don't just have to stand there and just brace ourselves and curl up in a ball and let Satan pummel us over and over and over and over again. He says, no, I've given you a sword. You can fight back. Come at him with the Word of God. And that's how that's how Jesus fought the battle, right? We saw Jesus was baptized and then he went out into the desert and Satan was tempting him and coming at him and how did Jesus fight back? Quoted scripture. Said, so, "No, this is the truth." And we should too. We need in order for us to use this sword rightly. We have to know God's word. I mean, that's one of the important parts of daily devotions, being in God's word a little each day and then coming each week here and hearing God's word. Preached because it equips us to use that sword rightly as we as we fight back against Satan. It means that we you find yourself in a situation where Satan's tempting you to sin. And you're feeling like you're maybe gonna you're wrestling with it, you're trying to fight back, you're you're being tempted to fall into sin. You take the word of God and you say, the wages of sin is death. Why would I do that? Why would I go into death? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Why would I go into sin? And you fight Him. You find yourself being accused and attacked, feeling beat down, feeling like you're maybe not worthy of Christ's salvation. Maybe you're not good enough and you're, you're really down and you're really struggling with it. You take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you say, "Well, I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. I wasn't good enough then and I'm not good enough now, but He still loves me and He saved me. I'm saved by grace through faith. It's not a work of my own. It has nothing to do with how good I am. And you fight Him off. You say it's not It's not about you. It's about God's Word. Or you find yourself in a situation where you feel like God's far away and, and he's distant from you and you're wrestling with that and, and Satan's going, yeah, he doesn't really love you, does he? He's, he's just kind of far away. Look, at if, if I was him, I would be close. I'd be helping you out there. And you start wrestling, is God with me or is God not with me? You grab the word of God, you say, he said he will never, ever leave me nor forsake me. Ever. He promised he will always be with me, even to the very end of the age, and you you fight back. You don't have to just take his punches. You say, get out of here. You've got nothing on me. I've got, I've got the armor of God. I've got the sword. Get out of here. I've got Christ. Paul also tells us to pray. And it's kind of interesting that he doesn't include this in the armor of God. It does not mean that it's less important. Um, but Paul gives us this really great imagery of prayer keeping us alert in the midst of this. So now we're we're dressed in our armory. We've got our sword in hand. But he says, Don't just be dressed in all of this and be sleepy in the corner. Like be alert. Be praying. Be talking to God. Have him open your eyes to the battle. Ask him for strength in the midst of this battle. Be ready and on guard to fight. So how can we be strong? In the strength that the Lord supplies. How do we live the Christian life not in our own strength, but in God's strength? You start by praying. Ask God, say, Lord, open my eyes. So that I may see the battle that I am. Help me see the reality of this. and Lord, Lord, give me strength to make it through this battle. I need you. I can't do it anymore. I, I need you every hour, every day, every second. Give me strength to make it through this. And then, Lord, give me courage so that I can fight back and I can engage in this and not just simply run away. Then after you pray step out in faith and trust that He's going to answer that. He told you He's going to answer that. So then you live your life in faith, trusting that He will never leave you nor forsake you, that, that He will give you through this, that He has said He will not let you down and that He will carry you through that. If you prayed for Him to give you strength, then you have faith that He will give you strength and lead you through. You also believe what He said in His Word. And one of the things He said, even in this passage... He says, put on the full armor of God, so what, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. He says, you will not lose this battle in the strength of the Lord. If you are His, and you're, putting, you're trusting in Him, you're, you put your faith in Him, you will not lose. It may feel like you're going to lose at times. Be times you're not even sure you're ever gonna get out of there. You think, you think, this this battle's done. I'm, I'm about to quit. I can't do this anymore. And you remember Christ said, you will not lose. He defeated Satan. He crushed him. He walked all over him. It said he crushed him under his feet. Satan's got no power, no authority. We don't have to walk through life afraid of Satan because Jesus, he whooped him. He's, he's chained to a, 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 <laughs> chained to like a dog leash. He's there. He doesn't have power. He can still tempt us, but He has no power over us. Christ is victorious, and He told us we will stand. We will prevail. End with Calvin says, there will be no danger which may not be successfully met by the power of God, nor will any who with this assistance fight against Satan and fail in the day of battle. You will not fail. It's a promise you can grab hold of in faith and say, God has told me I will not fail, so I will stand firm in the power of the Lord and I will fight the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, You are so good to us. You've given us everything we need. To live this life and to fight the battles that are placed in our way. We thank you for the armor that you've given us. We thank you for the faith that you've stirred in us. Father, we ask you to strengthen us in this. Any here who are in the midst of the heat of that battle, Lord, give them strength and confidence that you will carry them through. That they will win. Use us as a church to come around them and support and sustain them in this time. May we fight together as a body. And may you, bring, may you receive glory and honor for the work that you've done. And all God's people said, Amen.